0: Go to Bluenile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's Bluenile.com. Bluenile.com.
1: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast, brought to you by MissedApexPodcast.com. Today's episode is called Dude, Where's My Steering Wheel? I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets.
2: How's it going, Matt? Ah, uh, It's going pretty good there, Spanners. How about yourself? Although I, I have to admit, much like alternative facts, I do have an alternative headline for you. Go for it Ricardo wins stroll on the podium, and no, it's not April.
1: Who would have thought it? And who would have thought we had a race in which a driver attempted to start racing without a steering wheel installed, and that's not the headline news?
2: I know. A few things did happen in the race. Shall we introduce some people shortly and get on with it?
1: Well, let's first tell the listeners that we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can enjoy this with kids in the background or at work. Uh, We have got joining with us Autosport journalist and Formula Spy journalist, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, Chris?
3: It's going great. How's it going for you?
1: Well, not very happy with you, Chris. Unfortunately, we lost Thunderbeast Barnard, who was going to interact with the chat room today. But since you decided to call out our main Twitter account, you are demoted to chat room duty.
3: Well... That's what you get for making ridiculous claims like Williams could do better without Massa.
1: That's two weeks chatroom duty. Also joining us on the panel is Anil Palmer.
4: Anil, there's no relation to Jolyon Palmer, right? Oh, I hope not. But if it turns out we're distantly related, it's uh, uh, it doesn't count. Well, it's not really likely, is it? I mean, you're, um, you know, taller. I see what you did there, Spanners. Very clever. Very <laughs> clever. I've got three words for you, though, Spanners, after today's race. Well done, Baku.
1: Baku welcomed us all. And the full effect of the jokes we've just told you are only fully appreciated on the live stream. And if you want to join the video live stream and the chat room, why not find Myst Apex Podcast on YouTube? Search for us and subscribe. Click the little bell. You'll get a notification every time we go live. Big hello to the guys who have joined us in the chat room today. Matt, I think we'd best move on quickly to the big dirty news. Dirty news. Yes, the big dirty news is that Baku has welcomed us all for a second year. Uh, just briefly, Matt. I mean, what did you what did you make of the race? Uh, did you stay awake? Did you watch it all?
2: Yeah, I watched it all. I mean, there was all that boring bits in the middle where they drove around behind the safety car. But I do feel compelled to point out that I mentioned yesterday in my qualifying review that the safety car would indeed be pivotal to the race. I just didn't realize the inability to drive cars would be the rest of it. Do you enjoy yourself,
1: Chris, O'Neil?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Loved it. I mean, I really enjoy the Baku track. And yeah, the race last year was a little bit anticlimactic, but it properly delivered this year. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think it was probably my favorite
4: race of the last few years, actually. It was just, there was just so much drama, lots of action and I mean, sometimes we want one safety car. This time we had about 20, so it's all good.
1: Oh, you Generation X's. No, what are you? You're all millennials. You're not happy unless there's cars crashing into the barrier. I guess the novelty races are for some people. We'll go into a bit of an argument later as to whether we think that Baku is a good addition to the Formula One calendar or not. But let's start pre-race. A few things came to light. Firstly, a very, very prickly interview with Julian Palmer, sorry, Jolian Palmer. Look, people get upset when I say that wrong. But if you have an uncommon name that sounds very much like a common name, you can't get all that upset. Uh, Matt, he seemed really, really irritated just to be asked simple questions such as, how come you're doing real bad?
2: Yeah, no, I I can't understand. Oh, how do you feel about that person who drove your car way faster than you? Or about that other person who also drove your car way faster than you? Are, Are you worried about your job now? Should you be worried about your job? I don't know why that might set him off. No, it seemed like they just caught him at a bad time, to be honest with you. <laughs> We've seen drivers react far worse to those sorts of questions. Or I could even point to, in the closing interviews, a certain Mr. Toto Wolf reacting to questioning oh, by yeah. Scott
3: about exactly how that thing came loose in the race. As, as somebody who has asked Jolie in a few questions at the wrong time, uh, and a few drivers at the wrong time at that as well. Uh, I can say that it, it is a pretty regular um, thing. And I think for JP as well, it's it's fairly understandable because he comes into every weekend and gets similar levels of criticism, all these comments on social media, journalists always asking him the same sort of questions. So I think it's fairly complacent. I just
4: love how Jenny Gow kept asking him questions. Like after the first question, you could tell he was a bit annoyed and literally just kept pushing. And pushing, I thought it was great. Um, I like to see drivers kind of react like that, and I just give the standard PR answers. But yeah, I felt for him, and it only got worse from there. It did, uh, but that's Jenny Gow's job uh, to do.
1: You can't certainly take it out on her. It did feel like he was taking it out on her a bit. Now, I used to have a job for for the longest time where I was working on my own, and it didn't matter whether I was having a bad day or not. I could sit, and I could shout, and I could explet and listen to loud music, and it didn't matter. Then I moved into a big open plan floor plate. And suddenly, you realise that people are paying attention to everything you do and you just cannot have a bad day. And this is a hyper-extreme version of that. Um, And, you know, sorry, that is part of your job every day, is to be prepared. Like, you know, his interview game failed him this weekend. But look, let's move on to Sauber, um, who have fired Manisha Clattenborn and then immediately hired 17 team principals to take over for the rest of the 2017 season, Matt.
2: Yeah, we could call this one the curse of Guido van der Garde, if you like, because probably at the end of the day, that set the stage for the selling of the shares, which set the stage for not Marcus Erickson's money, but I'm pretty sure I remember it being someone in his general entourage's money having been parked at Longbow and them coming in and rescuing Salber. And now, before you know it, surprise, 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 suddenly... Monisha's out the door over, shall we turn them creative differences with the actual owners of Sauber? I don't know. I've heard two different stories. One we got from your very own Joe Saywood about technical staff being an issue. And then, of course, the other concerns, that thing that everyone is at great pains to dispel, the fact that they now want Erickson to be the number one driver at Sauber. And Monisha was not happy about that.
3: Any word on the street there, Chris? Not so much. It's not something I have a, a great deal of information on, unfortunately. Then
1: shut up and stop wasting all our time. So, Matt, Briatori meets with Mercedes and Renault. This is to do with Alonso, is it?
2: Well, he, he does help run Alonso's career, and... It is still not a thing I can get out of my mind seeing him wandering around the paddock after having been banned for life. But apparently this is the way these things go. And yes, he had a nice evening meal with both uh, Nikki Lauda and Toto Wolf. And I believe also with um, uh, whoever is at Renault managing now. I've forgotten. Vassour is up for Sauber, so it has to be a beatable. I believe. And yeah, Alonso seemed remarkably happy for someone whose test engine stopped running because the gearbox broke and someone whose battery didn't work during the race. He seemed to be remarkably happy about his future prospects.
1: Joshua Clare in the chat says, Ericsson must be rolling in cash to be propping up the Swiss F1 team, of all things. Yeah, I mean, he obviously has significant power behind the scenes. And it was interesting today to hear Wehrlein, you know, very tentatively asking for permission to overtake Ericsson. And the nonchalant reply was, yes, of course. Why would you ask such a thing? Note to uh, reprimand Verline later. But OK, so the last bit of news I want to go into before we talk about racing matters is Allison being snitched on, being grassed up by Christian Horner as the person who had alerted the authorities to Ferrari, uh, as I understand it, using a second auxiliary oil tank to burn. Now, we knew that Mercedes were doing this, so did we not know that Ferrari were doing this before?
2: No, I, I don't believe we thought that Ferrari... We, everybody thought Mercedes was up to this dastardly trick, which, given the source of the rumor about Ferrari... Might very well have been true. And then when they got, when the initial technical directive came through, they probably thought better of it because I don't think it would have made as much of a difference to them. But yeah, Ferrari to oil tanks. Well, you know, it turns out, according to Horner, some recently acquired Italian engineering talent at the silver team, which I'm guessing could be Mercedes. Maybe that's just my supposition. Uh was directly responsible for informing the FIA that Ferrari was up to no good with that second oil tank, and lo and behold, disappear it did for qualifying this week.
1: Excellent. And Horner, earlier on, actually, in um, I think it was one of the free practice interviews, he said about this oil thing. And then he said, yeah, you know, and it was, you know, it could be the red cars or the silver cars. You know, I, I was, I'm, you know, as if I'm not going to give anything away. But then he was very, very clear uh, talking to Sky to, to really drive home who he thought it was. All right, let's get into qualification. Matthew, what jumped out for
2: you? Well, Lance Stroll jumped out for me. I mean, first there he is at Canada, rocking at home in the points. And boom, there he is. Next race. Very difficult track. Caught more than a few drivers out. And oh, look at me. I'm in Q3. And he had some help. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting thing. Um, We had Patty Lowe um, talking about a test at Austin with a 14 Williams. Uh, saying that, that he felt that was very helpful because it dealt in just in basic terms of using Mass's as setup as a baseline for him to get a proper qualifying setup going. And he said that it didn't matter that the car was so different because it was just basic setup kind of stuff that they got into. Yeah, Anil. This makes me wonder how good their simulation or how good their simulators
4: are if he's having to use a 2014 car, which isn't very representative of the current cars you know, surely that setup work should be able to be done in the simulator.
2: You would think so. And I think for experienced drivers, that's probably the case. But the fact of the matter is for the drivers, the simulators are not that great. They're really great for the engineers. But if you're a driver who's needing to understand what changing a spring rate does to your turn in in medium high speed corners, simulator is not going to tell you that you need
3: an actual race car out on an actual track. Yeah, Chris. It's funny, because Lawrence Stroll, Lance's father, said after the race that that test probably made no difference whatsoever for Lance. So very contrasting information.
2: Yes. Well, and that's because that was apparently not the only thing young Lance was up to this week. He was also up with rob wilson noted f1 driver whisperer according to peter windsor driving around in some voxels learning how tires really work yeah rob wilson has worked with a lot of drivers a lot of name drivers and apparently now also has worked his magic with lance stroll all right then what else stuck out very much was the drama of q3 I think we had McLaren not bothering to participate because of their penalties, so all the people who were whinging about McLaren being nowhere while well, they were nowhere for a reason, they didn't need to be anywhere. they had seventy five combined penalty places except for the poor, luckless Palmer who caught on fire. they were never going to bother going all that fast anyway. so here we are in q three and With the banker laps in, it's not Hamilton at the top because he had a mistake. Instead, it was Botas at the top, provisional pole, and then it got interesting. Yeah, Spanners. Yeah, I don't think
1: Hamilton does banker laps. I've just I'm going to test this theory now more that I've thought of it. But I think he just he doesn't rate that as a tactic. I think the others go down and they try and lay down a representative time with no mistakes, and then uh they go for it in the second stint. I think Hamilton just goes, I've got two chances to make the perfect lap. And sometimes that doesn't come off. But to further back that up, think of the amount of times Hamilton has not been on top after the first round of Q3 times because he's made a mistake or he's not quite found it, but then pulls out a blinding lap that surprises us for pace. I think, well, where's that pace come from? He had it all along. It's just he had not hooked it up in that first first run through.
3: I don't think anyone does, quote, banker." Laps. The whole point of Q three is you go out there and you know fire it off straight away. And especially uh, with the way uh, the tires are working this year, it is good to just keep working them through because you never know the best conditions might actually be earlier in Q three. Given some of the the surfaces that we've been racing on this year, I don't think you could be more wrong. I think most
1: of the drivers get out there and they set a lap at like. 95, 97% effort, so they're not risking going off, but they know they have their grid position if anything else goes wrong or there's a red flag.
2: Matt? Well, I was just going to say, well, regardless, what I meant by Banker was he didn't have his best effort on the board after round one. And in fact, it became an issue for them because the question, given the number of warm-up laps they were all running, because they were all running multiple warm-up laps because the issue with this qualifying was getting the front... I'm going to say it, just put your hands in your ears, tires, and keeping them up to temperature during the long straights back and forth. So they ran extra warm-up laps, and as time was running out, there was a big uh, debate over the radio as to whether he should come in and get fresh tires, or whether he should try and set one more time and come in in fresh tires. And they were in the middle of talking about how many laps he could do if he finished the one he was on, which was actually a pretty good one, when lo and behold... Everybody's favorite Australian, by which I mean only Australian, drove it straight into the wall and brought out the red flag with three and a half minutes left to go. Okay, Baha in the chat
1: says he did the same in Canada. I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, See how much pace there is left for him in Q3. Uh, philip allen says ham made a mistake in the q3 first run exactly he did at turn 16 but that's what i'm saying Why he makes more mistakes in those first runs in q3 because he's really going for it alex van jean jean z in the chat room he's driving back from Nurburgring ring with bradley philpot who's who's going to come and talk to us very soon you are aren't you brad uh says they both agree with me yes come on why aren't you guys on the panel instead of a
4: neil who's going to say something contrary to me i completely agree with what you what, what you said actually um Hamilton's first lap was actually quick everywhere. It was just that final corner yeah. where he lost about half a second. Uh, but just on what Matt raised about Ricardo going off, I mentioned after the Canada Post review that Verstappen's really started to come alive in qualifying, and he was the quicker red ball driver over the whole weekend. So it wasn't surprising to see Ricardo again struggle to match him. Although, of course, I think we kind of got the last laugh. But yeah, anyway, great qualifying
1: from all the drivers. Othnall says, Will Buxton thinks nice guy Seb was just trying to put the frighteners on Lewis and he just miscalculated. Whoa, 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 you're skipping ahead. You're skipping ahead to whose fault is this? I don't know if we're even going to cover that incident. It's whether we get time. There was so many whose fault is this is that after we ask Matt where the race was won and last, we're going to go straight into that and that will probably dominate the rest of the show. Oh, uh well, let's do that now. Matt, why don't you tell us, as you often do, where the race was won and lost?
2: (laughs) Well, since we didn't talk about Lewis's special qualifying lap, I'd be delighted to tell you that I personally think the race was won when Daniel Ricciardo drove his car into the wall in qualifying, setting him up P10, but crucially with four brand new sets of super soft tires to start out the day. Now, of course, the start is always uh, tremendously important, and we learned straight away that it was not going to be Kimi Raikkonen's day, as Valteri Botas drove straight into him, scattered debris all over the place, and immediately ruined, more or less, both of their races. At least, that's the way it looked at the time. And from that point on, it was a problem for Ricardo, which, what happened to all my writing here? Sorry about that. It's all a different color, but here we go. All right, I found it. It was the debris from that first lap mess that got into Ricardo's brake duct and caused his brake temperatures to spike. And as a result, he was forced to come in early, lap six, and have the brake ducts cleaned out and also went onto the soft tires, thus meeting the minimum requirements for the regulations. And that right there was a pivotal moment because it set him up basically to be able to run a two-stop strategy with only a one-stop time loss. It's amazing though, because when
1: all of that was happening, at no point did we think that he was a contender for the race win. But obviously when you look back at it, all those little things are crucial, you know, getting it back on time. I didn't even think about what was Ricciardo's tire strategy at all. It's absolutely amazing how it worked out with him suddenly popping up at the front but it was crucial that he got past the williamses in the manner he did in the brilliant manner he did
2: yeah well that was um that was after the the second safety car right uh after the third safety car uh and the red flag so you've taken me out of my chronological narrative here but i can i can i can work with that i can work with that that's okay you see i work with that so we work backwards because essentially what happens from that point on he made stops with everybody he got one free place because verstappen car stopped working for the second day in a row because let's all remember this happened in fp3 as well his car mysteriously just cut itself off we never heard what the cause was and apparently they didn't know either because it did it again today during the race and you know you had something yeah i was
4: just trying not to laugh because you seem to just really have to think about what safety car it was what debut was (laughs) because so much happened so much happened you were just really going into the deep parts of your brain
2: Yeah, and it was nuts. So we had the first safety car, which got um, Ricardo back onto his super soft tires, and he was in P9 at that point. And then immediately when we restarted from that, all of the debris that had lodged in Kimmy's wing decided to free itself all over the track and make a mess. And we had yet again another safety car, which brought everybody again for new fresh tires, which I will point out at this point, Ricardo had an abundance of. And no sooner do we restart that than everybody's favorite dynamic duo, worse India, have a little internecine squabble out of turn two, was it? Into turn three? And uh, bang, here comes the safety car. And yeah, sure enough, here's sensible Fernando saying, you know, it looks like people have just covered the track in carbon fiber. Maybe we should just stop the race for a bit and clean it all up before we continue. And
3: that set Ricardo up. Yeah, Chris. I just want to point out, if anybody else agrees with me, that it, it, looked, it just looked like a bunch of amateurs out there at some some points. Just carbon flying ever really silly mistakes and racing mistakes that just should not be happening. And why there was so much debris left on the track in the first place? Why were we going green when there was still carbon fiber showering the track? Well, I
2: think you could put that down. Well, if you're going to ask me that as something other than a rhetorical question, I say, well, I think the answer is, one, you've got wide cars, narrow tracks, fast speeds. What did you think was going to happen? Cold tires. And two, you've got Marshalls. Now, in many ways, I think, and maybe you agree with me, that this track is very reminiscent of Monaco, but it's just faster.
3: Yeah, I like to sort of liken it towards Monaco and old Monza put together. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of Monaco-ish. There's a lot of narrow
2: sections. It's hard to overtake. But we do have these long straights where the cars can go very, 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 very fast and lose all the temperature in the brakes and tires just to make it fun. But what you don't have for Monaco is the Marshalls. The Marshalls in Monaco have been doing that race since even before I was born, people. Think about that. That marshals in Azerbaijan have to be imported from all over the world, and the ones that come do not get paid for it. The best of the best might get some help with tickets or lodging, but there is no pay for marshals ever. This is something they do generally free of charge. And how many people really can say, yeah, I want to go to Baku for my one big Formula One race that I'm, I'm capable of working? But that is what they're working on. That is the big push.
1: They're trying to make it a tourist destination. You know, they're really trying to drive it hard. And all the media that comes out of it is just this, like, super positive stream. And they've said, just do drum beats of positivity. Baku
4: welcomed us all. Baku is excellent. Yeah, if if you look at Monaco, one of the things that it does really well is that there's actually quite good vantage points for the cranes. So if there is an accident, they can move the cars quite quickly. I think one of the big issues at Baku is that it's such a long track. And there are large segments of it where you can't actually get a crane there because they're, they're just buildings. And there's not there's not actually much space. I was a bit frustrated with that first safety car because they seemed to be under yellows for about one and a half two laps, and it just seemed pretty obvious that they should have brought the safety car out straight away. I think that was for the um, I think that was for Max's stopped car. They just seemed like they should have brought a safety car out because it was obvious that they couldn't move it. Fiat. Yeah.
1: Stephen Williams in the shed. Says lots of incidents at turn two caused by the drivers on the inside launching over the curb. Is that down to a lack of running at the circuit compared to other tracks? Will it affect the next, the race next year? So maybe they'll be a bit more wise to that next year because it's happened. Yeah, a lot of the drivers just getting caught out by the low grip and sliding around. I think when that many cars are doing it and looking amateur, as you say, it's probably fair to say that there's a common factor affecting them all.
3: This is a track that has been designed to make these world-class drivers look like amateurs. It worked. And it, as it, it, it definitely worked.
1: Yeah, but it's amazing seeing them doing low grip, uh, trying to handle four-wheel slides uh, when they're used to being so planted. Uh, if you think of tracks like Malaysia, where the turns get tighter and tighter and faster and faster, yet they're still able to plant it and pick their perfect line. Uh, China, as the downforce builds before the back straight, and they're absolutely bolted down to the floor. Uh, here, it was amazing just trying to watch them not quite know where the back end is going to go or how much grip they're going to have through a corner.
3: I've, When I first saw the track last year, I sort of likened the middle sector to a Formula E track. And of course, they're incredibly tight, incredibly narrow. But instead of that, you've got these big, two metre wide, very heavy, very f- fast, big Formula One cars going around it. I actually thought the exact same thing earlier. It is very reminiscent of a Formula
4: E track in its layout, the straight 90 degree corners, straight 90 degree corners. Um, but the great thing about it is that because there's no real runoff, you really have to commit to an overtake. And maybe it's just because these cars are longer than they were last year, but we tend to see a lot more kind of drivers kind of clipping each other. I guess the other thing as well is where there is runoff, you can't just go into it and rejoin the track. You kind of have to, do a three-point turn or spin the car around completely. So it it does actually remind me of a Formula E track. Good point, Chris.
1: Look, I will state my case. Since uh, we can probably skip our bit where we argue about Baku later, let's just say, do you want it on the F1 calendar? I think no. I think it's a bit of a novelty track. I think, yeah, we we could have novelty tracks like this. It's a lot like Monaco. And maybe, okay, one, is this what you want? Is this what you want? You want loads of smashes all the time. You want drivers flying off everywhere, crashing
3: into each other. Or do you want proper Formula One racing? What do you want, Chris? I want Baku to remain. People are getting a little bit caught out because it's such a new challenge for them. It's such a unique track. It's just unlike anything that these drivers will have faced. It's more something that you would have had in maybe like the 50s and 60s. And I love that drivers being punished and the cars are being punished. I obviously I don't want to see, you know, lots and lots of crashes and and stuff like that, but that will become less over time as people get used to the track.
4: Are we going to skip the Baku section about what we think of the circuit because there's a point I want to make, make and I'd like to make it now? Make it. Okay. I think it's better than all the recent circuits that have come onto the calendar and here's the reason why. At every other modern circuit there's a hairpin before the straight. Um and what that means is the car's spend most of the time accelerating down the straight, and by the time they hit top speed and they're about to really get the maximum effect of a slipstream, they're hard on the brakes. The great thing with Baku is that they hit top speed miles, like literally a mile before the main part of the straight. And that's when they hit V max, which is maximum speed, that's when drags at its most. So the slipstream is super effective down there.
2: Right, so I would just like to toss in the shed This at this point is making the very good point that They love the lack of runoffs, make the drivers prove they know what they're doing. So it does seem to be popular. For me, I could lose the politics, but I think on the whole, it will probably be a bit more entertaining than Monaco year over year.
3: This is Tilka's best track since Turkey, 100%. All
2: right, maybe
1: it's a freak one-off track with crashes and smashes, but you're surely not saying you would want to see Formula One tracks going in this direction. I mean, we could take Barcelona and just... Smash arm crow around it and and there uh, you know see the carnage.
3: No, no, no! It must remain a unique jewel on the calendar because otherwise it loses its charm.
1: Matt, should we get back to how the race was won and lost? Because it was very, very easy to lose track of things. Everything we've talked about, I think, has really only brought us up to the red flag. So let's just recap slightly. I know we don't do the blow by blows normally, but the first safety car was just because Kvyat stopped. And he wasn't actually in that dangerous a position, uh, but they decided, you know, we can't get this car off track quick enough. Didn't want to leave it sat out there. Uh, I think you'd have had waved yellows for maybe 20, 10, 20 laps otherwise.
2: Yeah, And it's important to note two other other things came out of that. One was we had Lance Stroll up to P7 and most importantly, Valtteri Bottas, who had been sent back out a lap down after his initial coming together with Raikkonen, unlapped himself and found himself at the back into the field. It's a good point. Yeah. And this was very crucial both because Mercedes could easily have retired him in order to give him a new gearbox and replace other stuff that you're normally not allowed to. But they chose to send him back out in all likelihood because their strategists were looking at their probability computers and going, yeah, we're going to get a safety car. He's going to be lap, and we're looking at championship points if we keep him out there. So that was the end of the first safety car. Uh, then we had Verstappen out also as a part of that, and that's where Stroll's place came from. And the second one, as a result of Kimi's debris, this is where Ricardo crucially got in front of Hulkenberg, assuming later on you didn't expect Hulkenberg to just drive into the wall on his own. It was important for him to be in front when that second safety car was called, and he managed it on the race restart. And then on the restart from safety car number two, that's when all the fun happened with Force India. And between those two plus Raikkonen having his puncture, suddenly. You have Ricardo up to P5, you have Stroll in P4, and that's when they threw the red flag. Yeah. So this it, catches us back up in the race.
1: It does. And yes, I'm glad they did do the red flag in the end. There was so much debris on the track. I think it was just going to keep happening. Uh, I can't remember if you just said it, but Kimi Raikkonen's puncture was probably also caused by one of those bits of debris. And I think something got missed by the commentary team. Uh, I was watching the Sky broadcast this weekend. Um, they were saying that Hamilton was calling for the virtual safety car, and they were saying, oh, yeah, but... If you have a virtual safety car, the cars are all spread out along the track, so it's going to cause more of a problem because they don't have time to clear the debris. But what I think Hamilton was actually suggesting was that you get the safety car out to bunch them up, but trapped behind the safety car, they, it was too slow. And you could see that in that car, it wasn't suited, that safety car, to going around that track fast enough to let the tyres the uh, be warm on a Formula 1 car. I think what he was suggesting was you bring the safety car out, bunch them up, then switch to a virtual safety car and restart from there where they can actually go a little bit quicker. And I think that actually would have made sense. Um, you know, in the end, they didn't have to do proper restarts from the third time. But the first two restarts were chaos. And could that have been caused by the fact they just couldn't warm up the tyres? Yeah,
4: I, I guess the issue with bringing out a virtual safety car is that... It's to do with average speed, right? So they don't go. At, it's not like when they're in the pit lane and they do 100 kilometers an hour under a virtual safety car. You have to average a certain speed, and I guess on a street circuit that can actually be quite dangerous, particularly if you've got people on the track. Um, it would have certainly made it much better for the drivers because they had no heat in their tires. But the safety car restarts were absolutely
3: amazing. I think the FIA and the stewards took a look at the Formula two races because there were some incidents of drivers. Speeding under yellows, except they were setting a purple sector, but in the actual yellow flag zone, they were slowing down appropriately, but still getting penalties. And so I think that they were trying to avoid that type of scenario by just not putting out a VSC, perhaps. Oh,
2: so kind of like Rosberg and that qualifying lap all those times ago. Is that what you're saying, Sparkles?
1: No, let's not go back there. Kevin 6666123. Oh, definitely good. He snapped that one up before it went. Said, who cares? They're the best drivers in the world. Deal with it. There is an element of that, but also we could say, Oh, they're the best drivers in the world. Everybody gets nominated to take one wheel off. Uh, before the start of the race and see how they do. Uh, I think we want to see them racing in the best possible conditions. And um, there's no point going to all that effort of having great tires and then deliberately having a condition where those car those tires are completely unusable. Look, we're going to get onto whose fault is this, Anil, Matt, Chris. As I know you're dying to and there will be some disagreement between us. I uh we all share a WhatsApp group and we've been talking through all these incidents as they happen and I have My eyes have rolled. I've seemed aghast at some of my respected colleagues' opinions on some of these incidents. I've gone, how can a sane, intelligent person think that? But not only that, they're going to stand in front of a microphone and and tell you those things now. But we can't, Chris, uh, go much further without just saying what a fantastic result for a rookie in his eighth race to get onto the podium, nearly a second place, but a third place. Yes, obviously a bit of attrition, a bit of luck, but he only can race the race that's put in front of him. And I just, I feel really, really good for him.
3: I'm delighted. I'm very annoyed Bottas uh, pipped him at the line because it ruined my predetermined headline that I was using for my race report. But I, I would like to remind people that, you know, two weeks ago, this is somebody that fans were saying, he should not be racing in formula one and who on what i would argue is the most difficult track of the year did not put a foot wrong lance stroll
4: yeah um can i go i'm going i'm going don't stop me um i've never seen a driver and a team like not care at losing a place on the start finish line like if that was anyone else, they'd have been like, oh, I was pipped on the line to P3. But it was just great to see how delighted what they were. They, they didn't care that they lost those extra few points. It was more the result. Um also I know it was a race of attrition and there was he was quite fortunate that other drivers had problems, but actually, that's the type of race I would expect a driver like Lance, who's a rookie, to go and hit the wall. So you know, great result for him. I, I'm really surprised.
1: Absolutely. It's a great point. You know, that Hulkenberg didn't bring it home, did he? And let's look at the long list of people who could have won this race. So people who threw it away. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton could have won this race. Without doubt, what cost him it was a headrest. So there's a human being somewhere involved in that, whether it's a mechanic or whether it's one of the suppliers with the dodgy part.
3: You would have to assume it was putting it back on after the yes. red flag. Yeah. Because before the red flag, there was no problems. And then the issue start to occur after the red flag. So you'd have to assume maybe somebody put it in loose or I, I don't I, The team haven't actually sort of worked it out yet. So I don't have any official word on it just yet.
1: Okay. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was a person and they know who it was. And that person is well respected in the team because when they asked Toto Wolf, So, you know, what happened? You know, what was going on after the restart? You had to come in. Toto's like, look, we cannot go blaming individuals. You know, don't do a witch hunt on my team, whether it's an individual or just someone. Stop it. This is crazy. And I was like, whoa, chill, man. That reminds me of the League of Gentlemen sketch of like, we didn't burn them. Uh, it's like, you know, it's volunteering information that absolutely no one asked for. So look, yeah, it's clear to me. I think in
4: my mind that it was an error, but Anil, they said on the radio when Hamilton boxed that they had been told to bring him in, but he didn't receive. um, Is it a black and orange flag that I'm thinking of? Red bull flag. When your cousin... So surely, if they were told over the radio that he had to come in, he should have also received the flag. I'm just wondering if they were preempting getting that flag, or it just seems strange that he didn't get the flag if they were telling him they were instructed by the FIA and race control to bring him in. Think... I'm not starting a conspiracy here. I'm just a bit, a bit of a grey area. I'm just not sure why he didn't get the flag.
2: I would I would hazard a guess that that Mercedes got a call from Whiting that said, if Lewis isn't in by X lap, we're going to show him the meatball. And so they said, you got to come in. And they probably initially said, well, we're trying to fix it. We're trying to fix it. They watched him go a lap or two. They're like, it ain't getting fixed. Bring him in. It's a safety issue. If you don't, then he gets the flag. That's usually the way, in, 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 uh, in my knowledge, that, that that's the way these things go. But I want to go back, if I can, to Stroll and make the equally important point that he also, on that last restart, the same one that saw Ricardo get in front of him, he also had a really brilliant real restart when they were all going almost four wide into that first turn, and he managed not to put it into the wall. So, I, yeah, he drove a clean race, but and again, he lifted his pace, too, when he was being chased down by Botas. It's not just that he got lucky, or Ricardo for that matter. They both earned the spots that they had. That's all I really wanted to say. And
1: let's take a moment of quiet reflection to think about Toto Wolf's poor, poor table. Force India also threw it away. They could have been uh, definitely on the first and second step today. And imagine here we'd be doing a podcast today talking about a double podium for Force India. Would have been absolutely amazing, but we'll get to whose fault that is in a little while. Uh, Anil Alonso also said on the radio that he could have won today.
4: Yeah, um, that was a really strange comment. I think I know what he was getting at, though it's one of those results where well, one of those races where if you're not in a, in a very good car, you need a lot of things to go your way to get a good result. They literally had everything go their way today. You know, the issues that Sebastian Vettel had, the issues of Hamilton, Raikkonen, Bottas, et cetera. And apparently when he, I think he was running P5 with Ricardo and then he had an ers failure or something. And it's just, He had everything go his way that could possibly have worked. And it was quite interesting at the end of the race, they interviewed Eric Boulier and Ted Kravitz was like, you've got a point. You must be delighted. And Eric was like, yeah, P9, woo. And you could tell they were just so annoyed that this was the race that they needed to happen. And all they got out of it was P9 ahead of the Sauber's.
1: Shed is saying that the Force India thing was always going to happen and it started in Canada. Uh, Mr. Clare in the Shed is saying it should have been a pink podium. James Funnell says the Force India crash was so pointless. Yeah, uh, who else? Bottas, of course, could have won the race today and he's he's possibly thrown it away by hitting Kimi. But we'll find out whose fault it is. And uh Massa as well. He's not thrown it away, but he could easily have won that race today. And that would have been a great success story, too. I think that
2: Botas hitting Kimi was actually Mercedes strategy. I think they said, go out there, take Kimi out. You'll be a lap down, but don't worry about it. You wind up second. And he was like, okay, do I get my contract now? Those
1: Mercedes so, strategists are amazing.
3: Surely it was Ferraris, because we were we were talking about how how are they going to get Seb back ahead of Kimi? Well, just take out the competition. You get yourself straight up into second place. <laughs> Just running up and down the paddock.
2: Here's five pounds, and you'll drive into him. Gimme.
1: <laughs> the list of people who could have won today is absolutely amazing. And of course, Vettel as well, had he not got that penalty, would have strolled off into the distance and won it. But look, uh, we're going to move on to Whose Fault Is This?
0: Whose
5: Fault Is This?
1: As you know, I live in a marriage that very much has a blame culture attached to it. And my wife uh recently found out I wasn't sleeping through the night because uh, about an hour into the night she gets into the habit of just rolling over and kicking me. And because of that, I've not been getting back to sleep and I've not been having uh, good, uh, good sleeps and good rest. But not once has she asked about my welfare or if it's affecting me at work. All she has done is cover her behind and talk about how it's not her fault and maybe it's my fault for disturbing her. So let's... Find out whose fault this is by not allowing any racing incident. It is a racing incident. It's a cop-out and not fit for podcasters to say. If you know other podcasters that say it's just a racing incident and move on, you send them my way. I'll set them straight.
2: Where should we start, Matt? What was the best incident to apportion blame to? Oh, I think probably that we should start at the beginning, chronologically. Finn v. Finn.
1: Oh, I've got an opinion on this. All right, shall I start? I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I think it was wildly optimistic for Kimi Raikkonen to try and make that move around the outside. And also, he was the architect of his own doom, Chris, because he pushed Valtteri Bottas quite tight into the center, which sent him flying into the curb, which made him lose control and eventually hit Kimi Raikkonen. A wholly ambitious and avoidable incident.
3: See, this is the interesting thing about that because. It was a fair move. It was a very, very fair move. wasn't. Once Ask gets up on the curb, I would say it's his fault. But, you know, th- there is that curb there, and you do have to wonder why you would squeeze your competitor up against it when it is more likely going to be a risk to you. So you're agreeing? Ah, uh, uh, But no, I would say that that is just a lack of, kind of track knowledge, and that certainly, you know, next year, it is not something they are going to be doing. They will be leaving a lot more space there unless that curb is flattened. But on the face of it, yeah, I, I put the blame at Bottas, but not punishable. I would just like for
2: everybody in the audience to remember Spanner's words in a few short incidents when we get to the Force Indias. Thank you. It's not the same. It wasn't was the same. An, uh, there was a, an,
4: an overtake on Pascal Verline on lap six where someone overtook Verlein around the outside and he also had to kind of ride the curb. I think some of it does come down to their experience racing on that track because what I kind of learned watching that race today is if you're going to overtake around the outside of that turn, you are forcing the other guy to go over the curb. And at that point, it's a lottery. I agree with Spanners. And actually, Chris, I think you agree with Spanners as well. Yeah, I just don't think you can bring yourself to admit it. I okay, <laughs> sort of agree with him.
1: Let's go to the yeah, chat. Yeah, but then. just
5: say you do. No, I don't.
1: Let's go to the chat. Ferglin says, Bottas was at fault. Stevens is agreeing. Uh, sorry, not Stevens. Stephen Williams. Why was Kimi going around uh, the outside? Joshua Clare says, it was a racing incident. Boo. Did you know I can put people in timeout in the YouTube chat? I'm going to do that. I'm going to put you in timeout. I don't know how long it's for, for saying racing incident. That is completely disallowed. Uh, Spanners is wrong, says several people. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. It's a bit of fifty-fifty there. I think this is probably as close to a racing incident as you could uh, you could get to, given the amount of differing opinions. Uh, what else have we got here, Matt? What, what other whose fault is this? as we got?
2: Well, if we're going to leave that one behind, the next one that happened almost immediately and and perhaps was the most comical had to be uh, Daniel Kvyat and Carlos Sainz, which I'm not even sure was investigated as an incident per se. But it certainly didn't do anything to improve the morale at the Toro Rosso garage, did it?
4: Right. So Carlos Sainz said that he deliberately, after the race, he said he deliberately spun the car to avoid contact. Um, And then he also claimed that Kvyat came back on the track, like.
0: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially, no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Post your free
2: job on linkedin.com slash people today.
4: I think he said a madman. What else is Kaviat supposed to do to stop the car and say, oh, I'll, I'll let everyone go past and go. Um, Kvy- oh, Science just seems like he's in, he's in a really
3: bad place. Do you know what I loved about Science? The exact words were he sacrificed himself. He laid himself bare on the table and said, do what you must which I find hilarious because, I'm sorry, it was absolutely pathetic. And Science is just, he's crumbling under this pressure. We've, we've been talking about him as if he's the next big thing. And these last few races have not been evidence of that whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I think we just got an insight into the kind of books Chris Stevens reads. That's disturbing. But Kowadu uh, Kowakwa in the chat room, do you guys do this deliberately? Says signs was spooked and spun. It was not deliberate. And yeah, I think as well, I think some something's wrong with his mentality at the moment that he suddenly seemed so desperate to avoid uh, his teammate that he he jerked wildly to the left. And actually, he left a lot more room in the end that was absolutely necessary. And whatever he says afterwards, he was initially blaming Danny kavia But really, Danny kavia had nowhere else to go. And I think it's fair to expect if you run off just a little bit and you're rejoining the track and the car you're going to be on the left of is your teammate that is going to give you a little bit of room to come back onto the track. I think science just came off a bit straight. It was a puzzling bit of driving from Carlos Sainz. And combined with what happened with in Canada, the concern for Carlos Sainz is starting to mount. I would
3: agree with that 100% because it got it got tense in, in, in Canada. And I think it's sort of boiling over a little bit. And I think science is coming off worse on it, which i certainly would not have expected to happen yeah i'd just like to do an
1: apology to the person who are jokingly putting time out in the chat room it's a five minute timeout. i can't believe it and he's like one of our best commenters as well so very very sorry joshua uh maybe that could influence the comment of the week award i don't know i'm not saying we should fix it but you know pr and stuff
2: yeah i gotta watch out for those mad teammates rejoining their spanners You want to talk about Force India? Whose fault is it then? Whose fault is it? Ocon
1: was crazy. It was a mad, crazy manoeuvre that wiped out his teammate. Wiped out his
3: teammate, Matt, and cost them both possibly a double podium. I I really want to go first on this because Matt is about to present his wrong answer. Uh, And Ocon just did not leave space on the exit of the corner. Uh, I don't really know where he expected... Perez to go. Although, to be fair, though, Perez kind of started it because he gave him a little chop on the run into the corner. They were up the proper high speed of it before the braking zone, and they were... He he did come across him, but yeah, no excuse. Ocon, yeah, most definitely was at fault for that one.
2: Oh, you mean the move that made him run across those very same curbs that completely absolved Valtteri Botas of any responsibility whatsoever, and then launched Ocon directly into the path uh, Perez? You mean They're those, well past those, them. those ones? Or They're could well the, the TV, immense filibuster in Canada at which they were both told to, quote, 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 go out and race, boys, go out and race? I don't know. Call me crazy. But I think Perez got exactly what he deserved today. And I think he wrote what? that ticket himself.
4: Yes, yeah, comma, 100 percent comma. Ocon posted on social media, just seen on Twitter, a video of the incident between them. He's clearly not very happy with his teammate. I did hear that after the last race, they had a bit of a phone call with each other just to be like, oh, we're still friends. It's all good. But clearly the gloves are coming off a bit there. Uh, Ocon's coming off really well, though. Another amazing drive. But it, it was Paris' fault. Blackout19 says, Ocon had been
1: practicing on Stroll's PS4. Uh, Straight Rippen says, I understand what Ocon did. The problem is he could have left room. I think he had the move done. And this is it. I think he was much more in control than Bottas. He just decided to squeeze his teammate out. It was a determination not to let him through after Canada.
3: I would like to point out, this is the first kind of bad thing Ocon has done this season. He's been fantastic all season and this is his first sort of flop. And I think that's good because you need, you you can't, you can't build yourself up without falling down a few times. So I think this is
1: good for him in a way someone says spanners is actually right i just want to take a, a moment to dwell on that uh, mr claire says oh my god spanners you abs- actually did it you put me in time out you absolute madman you're dead to me now uh, and is reminding me that power is nothing without control i am very very sorry and kind of thrown about where we're going are we done with force india uh, should we move on to i think that was it actually that's the only was that the only instance we had
4: yeah let's talk about the the Shui on the podium yeah let's just move on let's just go straight to the now forced
1: and tiresome Shui that didn't even have a starship captain on it okay look where are we now Vettel and hamilton had a little bit of a coming together oh my goodness underneath the safety car lewis hamilton had been complaining that it was slow he had been saying he wanted to increase the pace as soon as the safety car disappeared though he decided that when he was the safety car he was going to be Quite slow himself, and not in my opinion erratic. So we've got three separate incidents here that I want to talk about. A, did Lewis Hamilton break check Sebastian Vettel? Two, did Sebastian Vettel deliberately drive into the side of Lewis Hamilton like a petulant teenager? Have I given away my opinion on it? And three, was the steward's decision proper? Where do we even begin? What a bizarre set of circumstances.
3: It's the moment we've been waiting for all season isn't it the, yes. the two championship protagonists are finally you know starting to crack and you know I I will start with your comment about Lewis's speed because it was borderline wasn't it his speed and I think Matt you agree with me on this that it, it, while his driving was not erratic it was a bit slow but not punishable
2: yeah and if there was a line of dubiousity and we've seen this with Hamilton before and how he always handles his restarts under the safety car when he's leading. Uh, the regulations are quite clear. The car may not be driven unnecessarily, slowly, erratically, or in a manner which could be de- deemed potentially dangerous. That's 27 4. And then again, 39 5, talking about the safety car directly. No car may be driven unnecessarily, slowly, erratically, or in a manner which could be deemed potentially dangerous. So it's the same wording both times. And the only thing that could conceivably apply to Lewis Hamilton at the point at which contact was made was the word slowly, because he was going if the on-screen graphics were correct, which I don't have access to telemetry as much as I might like. I know. But on the replays they showed his onboards with the graphics, it showed him down to around 50 kilometers on the exit of that turn. Now I have a theory. Why? Because it was not erratic and because the safety car itself was so slow, I couldn't in good conscience put it on Lewis as an actual brake check. That's my call. Chris, what do you think? Well, wait a minute. Before
1: Chris gets in, I just want to quote what Andrew Benson said on Twitter, which is, stewards examined Hamilton's car data in the Vettel incident. He did not brake or lift off completely, maintained more or less constant speed, and behaved the same at the restart at that point on the track as he did at the other two restarts and that is directly from the FIA Chris.
3: Yeah that was the point I was going was one of the points I was going to bring up is that the stewards have found him guilty of absolutely nothing. Um but the other point I was going to make was that restarting in Baku is a little bit different to sort of at your average track because you've got such a long high speed run from the exit of 16 down to the the safety car line, where you're not allowed to overtake the safety car, you do have to back up the pack quite considerably more than you would do at your average racetrack. And that's what all the chaos in the F2 race was caused by last year. They caught the safety car too quickly. And so we had to uh, jam on the anchors and that's what all the confusion and chaos was, was caused by. And, you know, Lewis got it bang on you know, on the first restart. It was very, very borderline. Uh, and, I think he he acted completely right, did nothing wrong. Well. Alex Van Jean,
1: Jean's E in the chat room, actually makes a really good point. Was On one of the previous restarts, he got warned that he was quite close to overtaking the safety car too quickly. So Alex's comment here is he had to let the safety car go. He got warned after the first safety car as he nearly passed it before the start. So I think the point he's making there is that as soon as the safety car went, he needed to make sure there was a gap so that when he decided to brake, the safety car was already going to be in the pit lane.
4: I think it's one of those incidents where it's quite clear that Lewis, if you look at the data, obviously didn't do anything wrong. Seb's clearly taken it as though he's deliberately tried to do something here. It reminds me a bit of Singapore 2012. The same thing happened with Vettel and Button. Um, Vettel kind of hit the brakes going into the chicane. Jensen hit the back of him, broke a bit of his front wing. Of course, Jensen Button reacted to it just by going on the radio and saying, I think Seb's been a bit naughty. He didn't um, take matters into his own hands clearly seb's taken that the wrong way it's a bit like when we have arguments over whatsapp and we disagree with each other um maybe the phone wasn't there clearly he's thinking oh what's lewis done he's deliberately gone at me yeah.
1: lewis
2: is just doing what he thinks is fine which was yeah and the nut of it is ultimately vettel was angry because lewis didn't drive around the corner the way vettel wanted to drive around the corner but The point of racing is with Lewis in front, it was Lewis's choice how to drive through the corner. And this is really what kicked it all off, I think.
3: Well, Seb was going through that corner in a completely different manner. He was actually on throttle, whereas Lewis wasn't. They obviously both had two very different ideas about how to take this restart because, of course, Lewis needs to try and get the whole shot on everyone so he isn't slipstream. Seb knows he's got two very quick cars behind him, so he wants to be on the back of Lewis. Yeah, I'm just trying to look in the chat room to see if anybody is
1: going to disagree with us, because I think the vast majority of people are in agreement with us. But I, I'm just I'm pained that we're going to be accused of being hamphosy. Chris Ward says, how many people here screaming about this one have sat in a race car on a rolling start? Hamilton was way too slow. But then he continues. That obviously doesn't excuse Vettel's behaviour. Um, Matt, you've gone,
4: Anil? Yeah, but ju- just on that, you you can make the argument that Hamilton was going too slow, but what rule has he broken? No, it's up to he, him. He to hasn't dictate, broken yeah. a rule, right? He's, he's doing what he had to do. And actually, it's the restarts, he, he nailed all of them. So he's doing what he wanted to do. He did it well. He, he wasn't driving dangerously. So to anyone that's saying, well, he should have got a penalty, he should have got a penalty, like, what for? Well,
2: the rule states unnecessarily slowly. So you can drive slowly, but there needs to be a reason for it. Now, in this case, like I said, I think they had different intentions taking the corner. Lewis was either maybe trying to top off his battery a little bit by doing some by doing some coasting, but I think the revs were steady. So that wasn't it. He may have been riding the brakes in order to try and get them up to temperature, or he may have just been giving the safety car plenty of room since he almost overtook it before the first safety car line on the last restart and was warned about it, as you correctly point out, by his team. Seb, on the other hand, I think was trying to put a little bit more heat into his tires. And in order to do that, you want to accelerate into the turn so that more energy is going through the tires when you have the highest slip angle. And I think that's what he was about. He wanted to start it his way. He wanted the tires at those temperatures. He expected Lewis to be doing the same thing, but Lewis was not. And that, again, as a driver who's following, it's your job not to hit the car in front of you. And it seemed pretty clear watching Vettel's on boards that Lewis was not going the same speed you were going. He may have been distracted or playing with the dials on a steering wheel. I don't know. But at the end of the day, he hit Lewis, not the other way around.
1: Matt Graff in the chat room had a thought that I actually initially had, which was, is not the rule that you have to stay within 10 lengths of the safety car? And Chris, you've already gone in the chat there and made clear that that doesn't actually apply on the restarts, which actually makes perfect sense. Because if you stay between behind by 10 car lengths, you'd have no chance of staying behind the safety car on the start-finish straight. You'd get swamped uh, and overtaking. James Funnell, the driver behind, is almost always at fault. Uh, Alex Vagina saying, Brad puts his hand up. Brad, do you want to say something? Oh, hang on. Brad wants to say something. I've got a recording of when I spoke to Bradley Philpott earlier, uh, but that's more to do with the punishment that was applied and the following incident. So yeah, I completely agree with people who were saying that it's the responsibility of the car behind to not crash into the car in front. When you think about it, the cars are constantly swerving. They're constantly slamming on their brakes to put heat in. They're constantly changing vector. Yeah, I'll say vector. I know words. Uh, and they're constantly weaving about. They're doing all these things. So you cannot... As a driver behind, just assume that the car is going to take a linear acceleration and follow a racing line. You can't. And people are talking about the speeds he went down to. Well, at those speeds, he should have had enough time or a good position to not crash into the car in front of him. Whatever happened, you know, just decelerating through a corner 20 kilometers an hour shouldn't be enough. To make a four-time world champion, slam into the back of him. That's Sebastian Vettel's mistake all day long. And at me at SpannersReady on Twitter and disagree with me, I'll have that
4: debate with you. What do you want to say, Anil P228? I love how you remembered my Twitter handle there. That was great. Um, this whole thing reminds me of, you know, when you're walking down the street and a guy's walking towards you, you go one way, they go the same way, then you kind of go the other way and you hit you bump into each other. Then they kiss. This is the equivalent, this is the equivalent of turning up to that guy and just knocking him in the face. <laughs>
1: So let's... why did he get so angry? Oh. So let's talk, oh, yeah. no, no, reaction, let's talk about the reaction then. Let's talk about the reaction. In fact, I'll just play what Bradley Philpot said to me on the phone earlier. Um, they were driving back. They were hoping to call in. Just we just couldn't get the reception to to work out. Uh, but this is what he said to me.
5: In my opinion, it should be a black flag. Any deliberate contact with another car, any certainly any retaliatory contact where you deliberately drive into the side of a competitor, especially the race leader, and especially under safety car conditions. <laughs> should be an instant black flag. Even if it was under full racing conditions it should be a black flag. But when it's under a, a neutralized uh, race and you're against the leader
0: of the race and you're also fighting for the championship, it's just like a heinous crime. There's, there's nearly
5: no other worse crimes other than driving into an actual person. Um, so it should be a black flag. Certainly should be uh, post race Disqualification, or points deduction or race ban It should be one of the harshest penalties available to the organisers. Um, a 10 second penalty and 3 points on your licence is the same kind of penalty as you'd get for something that, which was purely a mistake rather than an actual deliberate act. So it's the intention that makes it worse for me and it's the fact that it's, it was very clearly intentional. Wow.
1: Well, there you go. Very harsh words from Bradley Philpot, who's not some mug we found off the street. This is a professional racing driver. Let's go to Matt.
2: All right. So are we officially moving on to contact
1: number two now? We are, sir. And if you want me to lay it out, I think this was an absolutely despicable display of petulant and angry toddler rage that needs to be absolutely stamped on. I could not believe we were seeing this from a Formula One driver. We've seen stuff like this in GP2, GP3 in the past with you know kids losing their temper, but this is a seasoned professional, an example to all of the racing world, doing something just so brainless and horrendous that I I cannot... It would take me another 10 minutes to sit here and describe how shocked I was at what he did. It was completely
2: unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. So here goes. Here goes. Absolutely. Here goes. I'm never going to defend Vettel at all from this. He hit Lewis, and when I first saw the incident, I thought exactly what Philpott thought, which is why, why, like, what is there to talk about? Oh, he hit Lewis. Boom. Done. He should be out of the race, and the only question should be: Should they ban him from the next race as well? Because if there's anything, anything you do not want to permit, it's retaliatory conduct in a car that can drive. 220 miles an hour it's absurd that they would permit it so the only thing from my point of view left for us to argue about is the steward's penalty and what they might what might have caused them to make it just a 10 second stop and go and i will point out that they had both disqualification and race ban available to them under the potential penalties that could have been handled out chris
3: i completely 100 percent agree with bradley on the disqualification thing you know I was amazed when I saw Pastor Maldonado do this a few years ago and I cannot believe that a four-time world champion has just done the same thing I find it absolutely disgraceful and disgusting and I am shocked and you know when I when I first saw it a part of me really hoped that it was you know, literally just an incident uh you know an accident that he was, he was gesticulating. He didn't realize he was still turning right. And then he was going to come straight on and be like, oh, sorry about that. But no, he came out and completely confirmed it. Acknowledge. He didn't acknowledge the incident at all in the post-race interviews. Um, so just on that point, for any of the listeners who don't know what
4: Chris is referring to about the Pastor incidents, um, Maldonado did this twice. The first was on Hamilton in Spa 2011. It wasn't in the race. It was in qualifying. They had a bit of a they kind of held each other up a bit at the chicane and going up to Eau Rouge, Maldonado just kind of drove into the side of Lewis. He also did the same thing to Sergio Perez at Monaco in twenty twelve. So his penalty in Monaco, which was not in the race, it was um I think it was in practice, it was a ten place penalty. The incident with Hamilton was a five place grid penalty. Of course those weren't for the races or for qualifying sessions. Yeah,
1: fair enough. Uh, Stephen Williams is saying, reminded me of Rossi kicking Marquez off the bike because he was angry and then adds, motorbike racing is not witchcraft spanners. Then why don't they fall down when they lean over?
3: Rossi never kicked him. That was proven. Never mind then. Uh, Joshua
1: says, reminded me, oh sorry, Vettel is so lucky he didn't get disqualified. A race ban would have been acceptable in my opinion. They should make an example of him. Sandra says that the sky pundits say it's known that Vettel has a filthy temper. Well, he's definitely, he's definitely shown it there, I think. Uh, blackout19 says it's Ferrari's fault for not giving him the multi 44-5 team order. <laughs> uh, I think that the story would be as controversial if Lewis wouldn't have ended up behind Vettel. Yeah, I think that's true. Says so straight rip on. Uh, absolutely t- tons of comments here. Kawadwu says, I completely agree with Bradley Philpott. So big thanks to the chat room for uh, all those comments. There's a, there's very much a lot about it being childish. And if Eve Klinken, has said basically they've sent out a message to all the junior category stewards how to treat this kind of behaviour. And I think that's a huge, huge point.
4: I think- do agree with that. And I, I do think it alone is worth a ban. Even if you say he was pro- he felt provoked. Because again, Lewis didn't do anything wrong. It, it is in line with what they gave to Pastor Maldonado though. In fact, actually it's a bit worse because a, a five-place grid drop at Spa is not as bad as a 10-second stop and go penalty. I guess the only thing, I think we all agree, a drive through would not be severe enough. A, a penalty for the next race wouldn't really be severe enough because actually he probably would have won this race. Um, I do think they need to look at how they treat incidents like this because Maldonado did it twice in like, a year and he just got grid penalties. And actually what, what you're saying is it's fine to do it because you're not really being made an example of. And again, a four times world champion shouldn't be doing that. Also, Chris, you mentioned what you said to kind of post-race to the media and how he was kind of ducking the questions. I do think that comes across worse than it is. Having, from my time at Formula e, I saw a lot of incidents between drivers where they were having to be very careful of what they said in, pro, in kind of press conferences. And you were seeing this as well at Battersea when Degrassi and Bluemi had their collision. I think it's one of those things where Seb was just trying to say as little as he could until he debriefed with the team. I, I genuinely
3: think there'll be an apology coming out of this. The, the thing is, is when they even tried to egg in the question, are like, yeah, there was contact between the two cars. He would always refer it back to him going into the back of Lewis. Uh, I, it's one of the most extreme cases of dodging the question I've ever seen. But at the same time, though, he I think he he knows
4: full well what he's done. He, he's not an idiot. I think he's very clearly just waiting yeah. for the repercussion. He's waiting to meet the team and say, sit down with a of Benet and say, look, I shouldn't have done it. I felt provoked. I overstepped the line. There will be an apology, especially from someone like Seb, because I'm not a massive Seb fan, but there are far worse drivers that, I'd, you know, personality wise. I think he was just playing the PR game. He had his people kind of recording his interviews. There, there will be more to come from this. I'm sure there will be. Okay, so there's going
1: to be lots of people and there have been pointing to this incident or that incident. And I honestly believe that this particular action does not have a peer um, in the recent history of Formula One, certainly since the turn of the millennium, to see guys he's slowly driving along behind a safety car, and he's just deliberately to show his specific rage, pulled up alongside another driver, and rammed into him quite deliberately is is absolutely insane. And also, yes, the way he behaved afterwards in all the interviews, uh, I I think I would have preferred a no comment or I'm waiting to see the replay. I think that would have been better than than how he'd come across like an almost like Trump-esque no, kefefe, or whatever it was he auto-tweeted. That's very much how it appeared to me. Like, no, I meant to do it all along, you know, and just, just say, if you had a moment of road rage, if you snapped, if that pressure got to you in that 49 degree heat, just say that. We'll understand. Just come clean and and talk about it so matthew where does that take us now where does that leave us
2: well the only other thing to argue about is the penalty itself and whether or not it was appropriate what could have mitigated what we almost seem to entirely agree should have been at a minimum a disqualification from the race so
1: vortex mortio ken who sometimes appears on the panel has usefully listed the available punishments uh, to the steward's from section 38.3 of the F1 sporting regulations. You can have a five second time penalty, a 10 second time penalty. So I take it that's added after the race. A drive through where you just have to go through the pits and come back out. A 10 second stop and go. I think this is in order of severity. 10 second stop and go. Um, this is what Seb received. So you have to come in, you have to pull in the pit, stop for 10 minutes, no work can be done. And then you go out again. A time penalty. So to me, that feels kind of the same as the front two, but maybe a more like a uh, non-limited amount of time. I guess they can dish out there a reprimand, which does that put points on your license, Matt, a reprimand? Or is that a two reprimands in the season is bad or something?
2: You can get banned from a race if you collect too many reprimands. So they are immediately not painful, but collect too many of them
1: and you lose a race, which is bad. Okay, then. So uh, drop of any number of grid positions at the next event. Obviously, that's quite severe. Uh, and disqualification from the result uh, and suspension from the next event. So in recent history, we've seen Roman Grosjean be suspended from an event. I can't remember the last time we saw someone disqualified from the race. Obviously, you had Schumacher disqualified from a championship, but that's not included in this list. So if you go down here, really, they've picked one of the lightest penalties for one of the worst incidents I've seen, which that's a
2: fail. Right. So if we're looking into the minds of the stewards and we have to accept the one thing we have to accept is the stewards have better information than us because they do have telemetry to look at. The penalty that Vettel received was usually was the highest type of penalty that one would normally get for what you would consider contact during racing that was predominantly the fault of one driver. So, for example, if I stupidly chucked it up the inside clanged off somebody's radiator and we both managed to keep going i might very well get a 10 second stop and go for excessive stupidity and not knowing how to drive a formula one car correctly and that would be proper and good because frankly i don't know how to drive a formula one car (laughs) so the conclusion i can make the only conclusion i can make is there must have been something that convinced the stewards that although vettel was responsible for the contact that the contact itself might not have been an intentional action on his part.
3: Seb was trying to sort of argue after the race, I think, that nothing really came of the contact. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about on E! Radio a few weeks ago, about how you shouldn't be punishing the consequence. You punish crime. I made that
1: point. Have I rubbed off on you, Sparkles? You can learn
3: much all right you're not yoda or anything um but no i think it's a similar scenario because lewis didn't get put in the wall he didn't have any broken suspension thankfully nothing really came of it but equally it is the stupidest thing you can do as a racing driver and somebody one of the uh, gt commentators on twitter whose name i forget because i didn't write it down um said that if that had been a junior formula in the MSA, that would have been his season over. He would not have been welcomed back in the paddock. But how do you how do you punish a four time world champion? Yeah. And- I do think this shows a problem with the way they treat
4: this type of incident. The penalty should have been worse. It should have been a disqualification. I think we all agree with that by the yep. sound of it. He should have been disqualified. Although the penalty he got is actually in line with roughly what Pastor got. But again, and Paso's incidents happen at much higher speed. So what what I would say, they need to seriously review how they allocate these penalties, because I think I read that comment you're referring to, uh, Chris. If this happens in a junior Formula, that driver would be banned. Like you can't say, well, it's Formula 1, we're going to be a bit more lenient. At the end of the day, it's ridiculously dangerous. If I went down the street and drove into someone's car like that, I'm pretty sure that's a crime. <laughs> like, you know, It's really bad. It's such a bad example. And they need to in the way that they change rules on like moving under braking or whatever, this is just as bad. It's so much worse. They need to just
2: decide what the regulation is and always stick by it. Right. Well, I'm going to go back to my point, which is if we're looking at what the stewards did, we have to conclude from my point of view that they felt that Vettel's contact was unintentional. So he was responsible for it, but he did not drive up beside Hamilton and purposely cloud him. This would be the only reason you wouldn't disqualify him. And to explain that, I go back to when my dad taught me to drive and we're driving down and I go to look to make a turn and he says, don't turn the wheel when you look with your eyes. And it took some practice to not do that. Now, I will say, I think Sebastian was not paying any attention. I think he wanted to be alongside Hamilton and to shout at him and wave his hands. And I think, It must have been clear from the telemetry that whatever angle he started to pull alongside up created that contact. And that Vettel wasn't really aware that he was going to hit Lewis, which does not absolve him of responsibility, but might explain why the stewards didn't give him the more severe penalty that for me, I think was absolutely justified. And to be clear, I'm not defending the penalty because I think it was wrong. He should have been disqualified. But if we're looking at what the stewards did, that's the best explanation I can come up with. That's a
4: that's quite a good point. Um, if you think back to Schumacher's incident with Villeneuve in '97 that got him disqualified from the championship, that was that wasn't him feeling that Villeneuve had done something to him, and he was like, "Oh, I'm so angry! I'm just got, you know I've, I've lost control." It was in the moment. I've I've given you an opening, you've overtaken me, and he, he tried to take him out. I don't think Seb was trying to do that. He clearly just lost it because he was so angry I don't think he was ever when Pastor hit Hamilton in 2011 that was very deliberate I'm hitting you he was trying to make a point I think Seb just completely lost it but again I think the penalty itself it needs to change because we can't start seeing that and also what makes it worse is the fact that he ended up ahead of Lewis Yeah. Look, a lot of the chat
1: room is saying that they think that the stewards were influenced by the championship. And I actually had that same theory as well briefly, which was that perhaps they were going to wait till after the race to dish out Sebastian Vettel's championship, uh, uh sorry, championship affecting penalty, but then when they saw Lewis had to come in with a headrest, it was kind of a gut reaction to try and then take that opportunity to even things out. And humans are humans, we don't have professional stewards, we have different stewards every time. And yes, they could well be susceptible to that kind of decision. And they're trying to kind of manage the championship, but I would much prefer if they if they they just picked the penalty that fits the crime and they'd waste wait until after the race and shortly after the race disqualified him. Um Because I think that's what they should have done. But yeah, they could well have been thinking about the implications for the championship. And as Matt pointed out in the chat room, there may be course to appeal. And I'd be very surprised if there was not any kind of appeal going through from Hamilton right now. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. shame we don't get that information, but we might be wrong. But we're first. That's where we go to. Guys, I think we've absolutely flogged the death out of that subject. Let's just quickly go on to any other business and the podium. Yeah, wow, we have gone on We've gone long, boys I know a lot of stuff happened uh, in that race And in fact, we did cover quite a lot of ground Before we went to Whose Fault Is This? So, in retrospect, I'm going to make a quick editorial decision To go straight to the podium Well, if you've gotten this far, we can only assume that you enjoy this podcast and you might even enjoy it so much that you would like to support us. And there are two ways in which you can do this. A, tell everyone. Just tell them that Missed Apex Podcast adds to your F1 fandom. Get your friends to join in the chat room. It's a record chat room we've got today. I'm so amazed by the amount of people who are joining us for a live recording. We we only ever started doing this video stream so that people could have a chat room. We only went on YouTube to use the chat functionality. And it's grown and grown. And I couldn't be more happy. The more people that come in there, the better. But please, just tell people about Missed Apex Podcast. Anytime you tag us on Twitter with a tweet or a Facebook post telling your friends, You might not think it'll make a difference, but it really, really does. And somebody said to me, well, I've only got 50 followers on Twitter. What's the point in me retweeting it? But if you retweet something with a hashtag, that helps us go up the ratings of that hashtag. So when people look at that hashtag, our content is more likely to appear. The second way you can support us is give us real money. Uh, There's kind of a tip jar mentality to Patreon. Uh, If you fancy chucking us like $2 a month, uh, I'm not going to sit there and say, Oh, you know, you could buy an Av- Avril Levine album or you could contribute to Miss Apex Podcast. It's up to you how you spend your money. But I would put to you that you should support podcasting in general because it's a free resource that a lot of people put out. And basically, we're going to end up in a situation with podcasts where we get the podcasts we support because the people who make podcasts... That are supported are the ones that survive. I can tell you very, very clearly that we wouldn't have got this far without the support of the patrons. And there's lots of times where this podcast might have gone under if it was not for the support of our patrons. So, you know, what people I think should do is think about what you pay for your Netflix, $8 a month or whatever it is, and say, right, I'm going to split that amongst my favorite podcasts. And in the end, you'll get a much higher quality of podcast in the long term over the whole sphere of podcasting. So uh that's my little plea. So go to mistapexpodcast.com click on the Patreon tab and see if you can find it in your heart to support us. Also follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Mist Apex F1. Sorry we haven't talked to our panelists very much this week, but it's uh at PT fifty five to follow him at C underscore damn C Stevens underscore Journo. And at Anil P two two eight at Anil P two two eight. I'm getting to know these guys. Okay, let's go for awards then. Matthew, tell me what is your thing the entire
2: weekend? What is your thing of the weekend? The face that Lance Stroll pulled when he did the shoeie. They were they were giving him grief. Are you old enough to drink this? And he's like, and and he he drank it and he made such a face. I began to think that perhaps he'd never had champagne before. Oh, and then possible. his only comment afterwards was mm, had dirt in it too. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's not dirt. Lancey boy. Uh, so but would you also give stroll thing of the weekend for his performance in general?
2: Yeah. I, I, I think we could easily give that to him. We could easily give that to him. It, he came good on a difficult weekend on a tough track that caught a lot of other drivers out. Yeah. It's a good point.
1: Yep. There's a lot of people who've it, and Neil P228 man who knows people man who is connected and has worked in motorsport and who has worked in social media in motorsport who was your thing of the weekend
4: well i was going to say stroll but i'm going to say ricardo because every time that is a ridiculously crazy race he wins it and this always happens every time something there's a bit of drama he wins it and i think the show is just a great addition to the sport it's it's better than the national anthems it's what i wait for who will be his next victim I, i'm absolutely loving it Jack Miller did it first. Well, there's always
1: someone who did it first. Simpsons did it. Simpsons did everything.
2: We do have a nomination from the chat room, if you're interested. I am. of the Weekend. The highly technical art of mending a diffuser with pliers. Looks like Jeremy Clarkson is in the Mercedes crew. Chris Stevens, who was your thing of the weekend?
3: Well, I was going to say Lance Stroll, and then I was going to say Daniel Ricciardo. So I'm going to go with Kevin Magnusson, who... I think did a very respectable job in the house and was running up in the podium places for a little bit in that race. I think that's a career defining, career changing drive he's just put in.
1: Oh, look at that. And someone from the chat room has just donated on Patreon. So uh, Ferglin, thank you so, so much for that. Um, I'll add you in the Slack group, by the way, and you can get to know the absolute lunatics in there. Chris, sorry, I thought I'd interrupted you, Chris. No, no, that was it. Oh, my thing of the weekend, my thing of the weekend is Steve Jones on Channel 4. Even though I watched the Sky coverage, I did catch just the insaneness of Eddie Jordan who has completely lost the plot, he has entertained me in the past, for which I will thank him, but this week has been bizarre. Like, I'm seriously full-on, you okay, hun, uh, to everything Eddie Jordan is saying, but Steve Jones has dealt with him super, super patiently, and just shown that he's a top, top presenter. I think we need to get off his back now, because Steve Jones is becoming part of the fabric of the Formula 1 media world, and I just want to say a big thumbs up to him. Uh we We now do bad things, don't we? Who missed the Apex?
5: Oh, no,
3: you missed the Apex.
1: Let's go in age order. Matt, who missed the apex for you?
2: Nico Hulkenberg. Oh, he threw it away. He threw it away. And he missed it right into the wall with his car. After a brilliant overtake. That was the worst part. Anyway, for me, yep, there you go. He was the only chance at points. And I have to say, at least it wasn't Palmer's fault, as far as I can tell, this week. Although, who knows? Maybe he was storing some camping gear in the engine. Yep. But... (laughs) But at the end of the day, Hulkenberg was his team's sole hope. He made a brilliant overtake, was well in the points when you know he had a miserable qualifying and well drove into a wall. There okay, so
1: me Mist- me next, who missed the apex? Me, I'm just going to split it between a couple: the Merck headrest, Force India, Alonso saying he could have won, <laughs> idiot Bottas for you know throwing it away by hitting Kimi, Vettel for hit. There was so many, there was so many missed apexes that I that I can't pick. Chris, you pick one.
3: Uh, I would go for Bottas just because that's where it all started, wasn't it?
1: That's where it all began. In fact, I'm going to agree with Sandra's one and say the stewards. And I hope the stewards are hearing an appeal right now and they can change that decision. And Neil, who would you go for?
4: Whoever it was from Mercedes that didn't attach the headrest properly. Oh, don't tell Toto that. That that point swing is massive. And if Lewis loses the championship because of that, it'll be very, very sad. But he won't.
1: He won't. But what gets me is... It was clearly, it was clearly hot. There was clearly a lot going on. And I'm sure they have their pre race start procedures nailed down. But obviously, Mercedes are not the only people who missed something. And there was lots of repairs going on with the car. You have to figure out what it is you can and can't do. And it's clear that they weren't able to go through their just full pre race start uh, procedure. And it's clear that that is what is required. Because let us not forget, Kimi Raikkonen attempted to restart a Formula One race without a steering wheel. So that is an indication of how hard that was. So I am a bit um, p- at pains to put blame on that one engineer who probably had a million other things to do in a third of the time he normally had to do it. And it's not a fault we've seen before. I think it's just just one of those things. It's just one of those things that happens. Uh, what other rewards do we do, Matt? Uh,
2: Daddy, I want a pony. Daddy,
1: I want
3: a Pony. And I want it
2: now. Have you got one, Matt? I do. I I was actually, well, you know. Gosh, there were so many. There was a lot. But we were just talking about what I think. Is has to be my favourite one. Daddy, I want a steering wheel and I want it now.
1: (laughs) I can't unfortunately play the audio from, um, but if you just search Kimi Raikkonen steering wheel, uh, it's an amazing bit of audio as he gets increasingly more and more agitated that his car does not have a steering wheel. Anil, do you
4: have a pony lined up for us? I was going to say the exact same thing. His radio is, it's just the greatest thing I've ever seen. So yeah. I'm going to go with Kimmy. I'm being boring and I'm copying goose banners. No, that's
1: fine. Uh, Chris Stevens, who uh, wants a pony?
3: I'm worried you're not going to say the obvious one, so I will. Go on, which is Sebastian Vettel. Oh, like, <laughs> just, the, there's no more words for it, is there? <laughs> it's the, the post. I would say Sebastian Vettel for the post-race
1: interviews because it was the classic. You know, I've had this with my son. You know, you did the thing wrong. Nuh-uh. You did. You did the thing wrong. She did that thing. No, no, no. We're talking about the thing you did wrong. What thing? The thing. Look, guys, we've run very, very long. Thank you for staying with us. Many thanks to the live stream. We will see you soon for some Tech Time news, Wafflecast. Inside F1 with Joe Sayward I really do hope we get a chance to catch up midweek but I've not talked to the boys yet so I can't make any promises find us on YouTube Missed Apex Podcast until we hear from you next remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory last forever this was Missed Apex I didn't, didn't forget anything did I Matt?
2: Oh, I don't know. Comment of the something? I don't know. Hard, hard to remember. Comment of the... the week.
1: We've had a thousand comments. In fact, that might not actually be far off. Um, which one of them wins?
2: I don't know. I know you're pulling for Joshua Claire to make amends for your earlier one. And up at the top of the show, he said, Here we go, boys and girls, pitchforks at the ready. Rabble, 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 rabble. Who else? Patrick Green in with airplane full of turkey toothpaste and thunderdump. I don't know what it means, but it seemed kind of funny at the time. I liked it. Philip Allen in with a real shot this week. Renault tried burning the car instead of oil to go faster, didn't work. <laughs>
1: You're trying to burn the car to That's going to take some recovering from. Move on.
2: <laughs> oh, Lord. Joshua Clare, again, uh, a good uh, uh, one race does not a good circuit make. And Ellis says, but there are better drivers who aren't in F1 because you have fish paying for drives. You certainly do. No idea what that meant. <clears throat> and then it's some guy named Neil. Oop. And here, oh, this is this is like really hard because my comment window is not showing me all of the words at the right time. Hang on, let me let me. Oh, my browser down. Okay, here we go. Ah, uh, almost done. Ankit Goyal, banners got into the Azerbaijan spirit by banning dissenting speech. Read your free speech jail for Joshua Claire. Right, he's in time. And, and again, Claire, with that'll display politician levels of avoidance. And finally, R. J. Bone, fault equals T. Two curbs. Doubt my logic. So I'm going to do the undiplomatic thing, and I'm going to go back to Philip Allen's Renault comment. Tried burning the car instead of oil to go faster.
1: Didn't work. A worthy winner of
0: Comment of the
2: Week.
1: Actually got tears in my eyes there. We're going to say goodbye to the audio listeners, but some of the panel is going to hang around on the live stream and answer any comments or questions you may have. See you next week.